welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started, just a reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca. On to today's show. Today's guest is Greg Markell, President and CEO of Ridge Canada. Ridge Canada is an insurance company that specifically specializes in cyber insurance. And I brought him in to talk about the need for cyber insurance and where the threats are coming from these days. So here's my conversation with Greg. Good morning, Greg. Morning. Thanks for taking the time to come in. No, thanks for having me. So Greg Markell, President and CEO of Ridge Canada Cyber Solutions. Tell us about what it is you do. So we are a pretty niche player within the insurance market. We are a wholesale insurance underwriting shop that focuses exclusively on cyber and privacy liability. Okay. So technology, something that scares a lot of people, but not something that is uh, near and dear to my heart and something that needs to, that we all need to take more seriously if we're going to advance our businesses. So let's talk about what is cyber insurance and why would an entrepreneur need to get in place? Because this is, this is a fairly new market, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah, it really started coming out of the of year 2000 mm-hmm. and then the evolution of it has been quite steep especially over the last 5 to 10 years. So that makes sense. I mean, we're looking at like kind of tail end dot com bubble so people are moving more and more of their businesses into the internet, you know, the cloud has become a term or is starting to become or is going to become a term very shortly. So timing makes sense. Okay, so yeah. cyber insurance. What is it? What does it do? So cyber insurance is standard insurance policy, except it's a little bit more complex. Mm -hmm. There's two parts to a cyber insurance policy. There is what I call the expense coverages, which are affectionately known in the insurance industry as first party costs. And then there's your standard liability coverages as well that come at the back end. Really, the best way to think about it is the expense coverages are in place to help companies prevent getting into liability situations. So your expense coverages cover things for when a breach happens and the costs that a business would incur. So hiring a lawyer to be your breach coach or the quarterback Mm. of the situation, the forensics folks to get you out of the pickle that you're in, PR and crisis communications, data restoration experts, call center people in case you're going to experience a flood of calls if your business has to do with credit card information, lots mm-hmm. of patients, if you're in retail, if you're in anything like that, and it would overwhelm you from a if you're, standpoint. If you're a certain um, certain credit rating agency of the U.S.? Correct. Yeah. And Canada, with yeah. which has a, a class action certified against it at this point. Good. So, yeah. We can get into that funny story later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. So that's the first half is the, okay, something's gone wrong. I've got to face all this extra cost now just to just to stick handle the situation. Yep. What is the second half? The second half is the liability. So let's say all of those costs and expenses cannot prevent your business from being sued. Mm-hmm. So people feel slighted, they feel exposed, they feel anything else, and they sue your business in order to recover costs that they might have incurred. So you know, recovering from some of these attacks can take time. And if you are heavily involved in supply chain or, or your supply chain is exposed, mm-hmm. then you could face third-party suits coming from vendors, suppliers, everything else. The, the liability portion of the policy is meant to pick up those types of things. So losses that third parties experience and sue you to recoup for as a result of your cyber incident. Okay. So a lot of businesses, especially bricks and mortar types, might be thinking, you know, this is something I don't need, right? But let's face it, everybody's got 
got some digital exposure. Can you give me examples of the type of things that are attacked by yeah, the average business? For sure. And and you bring up a great point, something that I didn't even completely realize until we were going through the movement into the new decade, which is mm-hmm. 2020. You know, we're, we're in 2020 now. But one of the things, uh, and I was reading up on a few things leading into the new year, but, you know, when cyber policies first started, at the Y2K issue and everything coming out of it. So the insurance companies jumped on Y2K saying, hey, we can insure you from this problem, which really may not exist, but maybe it does. Yeah, as soon as they got over being scared of the world ending, I mean, everything, they realized that they could make some money on it. But what was interesting leading up is that was really the first time that the Canadian government and everyone else started mapping what their exposure to their networks was, Mm -hmm. how interconnected things were. And this is as back as the 90s. We haven't undertaken an exercise like that since then. So we're going out 23 years now Mm. on the last time that we actually engaged to figure out what our total cyber exposure was as a country. You know, you look at Canada as the Canadian population, we spend more time online per capita than any country in the world. Mm -hmm. We have the highest telecommunications cost because of our vast geography, but we also have, we are a G7 country and we are highly technologically advanced. You know, you look at some of the actual government grants and and things that are coming in with the super clusters and everything in the form of robotics, security, you've got artificial intelligence. We're a have nation, especially when it comes down to intellectual capacity and advancement of technology. Hey, we're right down the street from where Sidewalk Labs is being set up. That's, so, that's yeah. right. And that's yeah. its own can of worms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, let's avoid that. Maybe I might yeah, be on a show yeah. at some point. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so yeah, so this is a little bit frightening to think that it has been that long since we had that kind of threat assessment but yeah. let's continue and if we look at if we look at small businesses you know the biggest thing that we always experience because we only sell and we only underwrite risks that are brought to us directly from insurance retail insurance brokers one of the biggest issues that we've had over the last little while is just the and it's getting much better is that understanding of on the connectivity and you know cyber can be very complex and especially if you look at the policy itself you know i broke it down into two simple sides the expenses and the liabilities but the reality is it has the average cyber policy it has 11 to 12 insuring agreements mm-hmm. and by comparison directors and officers insurance which is naturally a, a specialty lines product mm-hmm. governance focused and regarded as quite complex it has three. So so we're dealing so, with... So a factor of three, <laughs> yeah. you're, uh, you're increasing the complexity. Okay. So I think the learning curve is, we're still probably about halfway up the learning curve mm-hmm. relative to markets and brokers being able to effectively communicate to end clients, not just what their exposures are, but what the actual policy can do and how to use it. Okay. And I think that that's a really important piece because as we're seeing exponential growth in the market itself, we're seeing exponential growth on very small numbers in terms of the market size in mm. Canada. You know, if we look at the United yeah. States. Starting from one, you know, yeah, exactly. two is a hundred percent growth rate. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. That's it. Two. Yeah. And if we look at it, and I mean, there is a little bit of insight. Now that information is somewhat dated. So, mm-hmm. so we have to extrapolate based on what we know from an industry and what the actual purchase rates are on by business. But when the census and around the same time as the census was being conducted, Stats Canada actually uh, launched a a survey. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they surveyed 12,597 Canadian businesses and they got an 86% response rate, which is pretty high. And so they 
they released all of these findings in October 2017. So that's why I'm saying that the information is a little bit dated. But mm-hmm. what's very interesting about it is you look at the act, some of the things that they asked were actual purchasing rates by Canadian companies of mm-hmm. cyber insurance. And they broke it down into the actual penetration rates based on market size. Mm-hmm. And the government does it on headcount. StatsCan did it a little bit differently. There's a little bit of things not lining up. So if you look at some of the actual census numbers, you know, small business accounts for 97.9% of Canadian businesses. It's just over 1.13 or 1.16 million total businesses at that time. So 97.9% of those were deemed to be small. However, there's a bit of a, a bit of an overlap because in some of the studies there's small and micro is deemed zero to 49 and others at zero to 99. So there is a bit of a, of a gap. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I mean, the small business numbers in terms of cyber insurance purchasing rates, 7%. In 2017, that that number was 7%. Yeah, and that's pretty frightening. So, I mean, like, let's take a step back and talk about, like like I said, you know, bricks and mortar company may not think that they need it. So, perfect example is, let's just say that someone has a flower shop, right? Yep. Doesn't even have a website. Maybe the website doesn't take orders, right? And they may say, well, why do I need this? Well, at the end of the day... If you have a computer or a phone or any kind of email account where you've ever taken payment information, let alone delivery information, right? Because you have information on who people are, where they live, and potentially their credit card, right? And this is really, I mean, when this comes down to, this all comes down to theft of two things. Money, either directly, right? Being able to get into the the company's bank accounts and do whatever they have to do or get money out. Or basically information that enables them to steal identities. Yeah. I mean, unless there's a third one I'm missing, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, that's it. So the bottom line is unless you, if you take any form of client data and that data ever touches anything on a piece of paper and that paper isn't shredded, <laughs> you yep. bear some form of cyber insurance risk. Correct. And so you nail on the head. I mean, there's on the liability side of things and granted Canada doesn't, isn't that evolved in terms of the litigiousness that we see coming out of it, which is a good thing. <laughs> out of the US? Yeah. Wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining about yes. that relative to our own portfolio loss ratio. Mm-hmm. However, we see, we, we're starting to see people get a little bit more, their backs up a little bit when their information is exposed. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You're absolutely right. There's a couple of things. There's your actual network security that comes into play. And then there's also your privacy or exactly. client privacy. And so making the distinction between the two of those. Now, the insurance policy, the evolution of the policy over the last five years, this is one of the things that's been at breakneck speed. So originally, there was a distinction between data and dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, what you're seeing is, you know, you look at articles that the economist is putting out, you look at all of these thought leaders within the industry, and everybody's heard the adage that data is the new oil. Just access to that information can now easily be it's monetized. itself, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And Canada, one of the things that has come into effect as of November 1, 2018, was we're the first country in the world with federal notification legislation. And so in 2015, I believe, June of 2015, the Digital Privacy Act gained royal assent. And it took a few, that was under the Harper government. And then you move forward into the liberal government now, and it still moved through. So we That's now made a lot of sense and it was a global trend. I mean, so we're talking Absolutely. about you have to notify your customers when there's a privacy breach within a certain amount of time, yeah. which also GDPR in, in Europe has yep. the exact same criteria. State by state, they have different legislation. So that becomes a whole quagmire oh of different yeah. things. One week versus three months, who knows, right? So Exactly. But <laughs> going back to your flower shop example, so as a result of this Digital Privacy Act coming into effect November 1, 2018, from a privacy standpoint, there's a few implications. So let's say 
they use paper files for 50% of their work orders or their vendor management or anything like that. Someone breaks in and steals the information. Traditionally, you would look at it and say, okay, that's a burglary-related risk. Yeah. But if they're stealing client data, which could have credit card information that they took over the phone, they break yep. everything op open, that's a privacy-related issue as well. There's mm -hmm. not just the cost of replacing the windows and getting everything back up and <laughs> no. running. There's now- There's what a data breach. Exactly. What you have to now think about is, does this pass the, the test that the government has put in place and what they deem the Roche test. And that's an acronym for the real risk of significant harm. So is that data that was stolen, would it potentially cause harm to the affected individuals? Mm -hmm. And so there's there's still a little bit of gray on that, but typically the rule states is if there's financial information, if there's SIN numbers, if there's mm -hmm. anything that can be used to recreate a person's identity, yep. borrow in their, in their name, cause them financial harm, or if there's kids involved. And then if you look at healthcare, it's completely different. It's under the Personal Health Information Protection Act. So the PHIPAA, as opposed mm -hmm. to the Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act, yep. which are mouthfuls in their own right. So there is a bit of distinction between healthcare and, and the general public. However, mm -hmm. that flower shop still has that exposure, even if they're not running computers. Yeah, and this is an important point because oftentimes I'll get people say like, well, you know, I'm worried about security in the cloud, so that's when I'll put my client files on there. And to which I'll say, okay, great, where do you keep them all? Well, I keep them in this room and still got a lock on. I'm like, yeah, and it's got a drop ceiling, yeah. right? Like, so push a tile and climb, you know, like it's pretty straightforward to get into that thing, yeah. right? And lock it from the other side. And really all you've done by keep, all they've done is they've limited the geographic region and the speed at which that data can be stolen, right? They haven't really limited the ability to steal said data. Whereas I would argue the proper precautions doing things online can actually be more secure, vastly more secure than any kind of file room. You should tell that to Satscan. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, let's not even get me started on the number of institutions that won't take digital signatures at this point, where yeah. it's like, really? Because I can tell which device location and everything else that, that it took, and you're telling me that this is somehow, somehow ink on a page is more secure than all that metadata being attached to that signature. Yep. Anyway, that's besides the point. So let's talk about the scale of this problem. So the scale of this problem is huge. Any, you know, what kind of statistics do you have about number of breaches or size of breaches and what's going on in, in the marketplace today? Sure. Well, just anecdotal. Totally, I can tell you that when we're taking on and evaluating risk, one of the things we ask an application, it's a self-assessment questionnaire. For us, it's about a dozen questions, pretty pedestrian. We tried to focus on governance as opposed to the technicalities behind things, because what we found was it's typically the purchasers of this in small businesses, it's people wearing multiple hats within a business. Yeah. So it's your CFO, it's someone management level that is in charge of the general oversight of the business. Mm -hmm. And they could be head of HR and the CFO at the same time. Yeah. So we're looking at some the guy of who's things. in charge of the computers while also in charge exactly. of shipping and receiving, right? Like exactly. It's just, yeah. yeah. So what we found was if management and everybody else has to outsource the application, if they don't know it, one, they should know it because now this is a real risk that presents itself to all businesses. Mm -hmm. If you're just like you said, if you are connected to the internet or you are using computers in some way, shape or form, you have this exposure. Absolutely. So how do we make it easy so they're not having to send it out to a third party MS, like MSP or mm -hmm. any anybody else in order to get the information back? So we focused a bit more on governance. But what we found, and again, this is the anecdote that I was going to share, is probably about 40 to 50% of the applicants that we see. And we see a lot of applicants. We're getting three a day Day right mm -hmm. now more and that number is continuing to grow as we continue to, to grow our portfolio and our business and our distribution networks and 40 to 50 percent of them are indicating some form of loss 
most of that is ransomware based. Oh boy. And so yeah. it's uh, ransomware. You so know, let's talk about that because that's yeah. different than what we talked about before. What we were talking about before is data theft. The ransomware is a completely different beast. Correct. And there's been some very high profile cases, especially with sadly and tragically hospitals being targeted for this sort of thing. So yep. what is ransomware? What does it look like? So ransomware is a form of malware. Typically, it is as simple to deploy for the threat actors as embedding it within a link or an attachment that they dupe someone in the, within the company into opening. As soon as it's opened, it proliferates through. Some of it can lay dormant and then it can actually just execute itself later on. However, most of the time it's smash and grab. So it's a piece of malware that essentially what it does is it goes in and it encrypts your files. So it locks down your business and it just keeps Going. So you're running a data server, all the files are there, and then while in the background, it's very sneakily encrypting everything yeah. in a format that you can't gain access to. So it's still there. It's still there. But you don't have the keys. Correct. And what they do is they extort you. Yeah. Typically in cryptocurrency, 99% <laughs> of the time it is in Bitcoin because that is the easiest yeah, there's other ones. There's other ones point. that are harder to trace than Bitcoin. Yeah. Exactly. You know, some of the privacy coins like a Monero come to mind, but yeah. that's that's typically happens after the fact in terms of how they wash the money afterwards mm -hmm. and how they anonymize yeah. it. But uh, what we're seeing is the actual ubiquity of ransomware because one of the biggest pushbacks that our broker partners actually get is my business isn't a target. Flower shop in St. Thomas, Ontario. I'll pick on them. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like it's like when my wife doesn't want to put in a, a difficult password into her like into her <laughs> into her email address. She's like, oh, I don't care if they find like what are they gonna steal from me? I'm like, well, all these like you know, hundred years worth of years worth of emails, which probably <laughs> through all of them put together the perfect picture to steal your identity. And are you telling me that at no point, at any point whatsoever, you never put in another password, another login, or a credit card number yeah. into a single email? then you're the exception to the rule because you know what you say this but it's amazing how one little password difference would basically prevent that from happening so one well, exactly and the ransomware why is not going to listen to that episode right? <laughs> the ransom hey, keeping I'm, away from her I, I'm, in the same, I'm in the same boat yeah. post uh, i mean it's on the public record now but yeah. post life labs one in two canadians was affected on yeah. that oh, I and know. the biggest thing that Probably i keep, myself yeah we got i got questions immediately afterwards Craig, what do I do? Well, first things first, change your password and change any passwords that you used if you use the same password as your life last Strike account. one. Do yeah. not use the same password. Exactly. We'll, get to, we'll get to tips later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, some of them can be, some of these breaches can be comical, like, you know, yeah. the Ashley Madison one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> comical if you're, as long as you weren't a client. <laughs> some of them less so, like the Life Labs one or Equifax. Yeah. So, but the, yeah. the ransomware piece, yeah. what's interesting is you don't need to be a target. What's happening right now is, these campaigns, typically, if you're a target, you're typically a target of some form of nation state, or yeah. you have something that you know that you have it. You've got crown jewels that someone yeah. has access to, and they're trying to exploit that. Or yeah. if you're a target from a ransomware perspective, what we're seeing is activist groups get a little bit more vocal. So disruption types of attacks, mm. and those are the targets. So if you're in mining, energy, oil and gas, anything that's Ooh, environmental. The so zealots that, are basically coming in and exactly. trying to so for anyone who saw season one of Mr. Robot, and if you didn't, you should, <laughs> this was, you know, Climax was a massive ransomware attack on the world's largest bank. Yeah. And it was like, well, now, good luck. That money's never getting out because they weren't going to divulge the keys, right? Exactly. But for everybody else, again, probably not being targeted by specific, by groups focused no. on espionage or nation states or anything like that. But what's really, really rampant out there is the organized crime. And the, I'll put this in perspective. To run your own 
or to have someone run a ransomware campaign on your behalf, which you can get through Tor on the dark web, you can pay someone to do this for you, who will split the profits yep. of said campaign with you. You can find anything you, on dark web. Yeah, cost you two <laughs> yep. grand, two grand US. Really? That's it. For different strains of, of ransomware, if you're going to run it on your own and then put your own derivative coding onto it, it can go as low as 200 bucks US, even less. We've heard of, of I hope things. We just I hope we didn't create a market for ransomware, but continue. Well, there's, um, a, there's already a market. There's already I mean, a market, but if, now, wow. If, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and if you look at some of the major strains that have gone out, it's to make something zero day is just adding additional code onto yeah. the end of it. So if you look at, if you think you're safe, hey, I have, we get this all the time. Greg, I have antivirus. And Greg, I have a managed service provider. Greg, I have X. The biggest, we'll get to the tips I know at the yeah. end, but the, the issue is, is if, AV or if antivirus or if any of the actual detection software doesn't recognize it yep. and they don't and they aren't able to sandbox it. And what I mean is it's either known good, known bad or unknown. If they yep. can't bucket it into unknown or into known bad, then it automatically runs through. It's whitelisted and then it goes through and you're you're not going to pick it up. So unless you have the expertise to diagnose and to prevent in-house, which most small businesses do and not. Let's face it. The real problem when it comes to all of this is not the technology 90% of the time. No. It's the people. It's people. It's people who basically, simple passwords, open anything, run anything, download anything, click anything. It was a phishing attempt that unfortunately about three people in my life suckered into this one. <laughs> uh, it would look like a iCloud password reset or something like that. Yep, yeah, you're familiar with this one. one. And you go through the first one, it looks like the standard Apple, like, you know, reset this. And the second page started going all this personal information, including asking for your SIN number. Oh, and like, I had people like asking like, why does Apple need my SIN number? I'm like, oh my God, Apple does not need your SIN number. Look at the bloody URL. <laughs> um, it was like something, it was, you know, whatever Apple dot something else yeah. uh, recovery.com I'm like no those those two words should be interchanged yeah. like it doesn't make sense so yes humans are always the weakest link of the chain so let's and a chain is only as strong as its weakest link exactly so let's, let's talk about how we can prevent these sorts of things from happening what are the you know what are your top tips when it comes to preventing yourself from becoming a victim of cybercrime as a business I think awareness right now is key if I look back at the last seven eight years of just what I've seen within the market mm -hmm. and we're staying ahead of, of what we do of threat information we try and get as much Intel as we can globally you know we liaise with friends in the UK mm -hmm. in the US in Canada so we're you know we're 60% of the way through the five eyes at this point <laughs> but just in terms of what's developing what people are seeing what that threat Intel is is telling us and and trying to stay plugged in within the security community as well because mm -hmm what we can do is we can sort of relay information on an anonymized basis back to security folks based on the losses that we're seeing. So it's it's a very interesting ecosystem, but what people can do, I think 2020 is gonna be the year of training, of mm -hmm. employee training. I think that that awareness has finally sort of hit that nexus. There's there's no longer the same sort of apathy that there was in the within the general Canadian populace. You think so? I don't know. We're I, we're I, getting I better. I, hey, um, I like to I like look, to focus I'm sure, on I'm the sure positives. The guys, I'm sure those guys who were on Ashley Madison, you know, they don't have apathy anymore. No. Um, but <laughs> Rama, yeah. Valley, the, you know, yeah, the list we, goes we can on. Go on, right? Like yeah. but you know, or the people who used to run the back office at Equifax when they're, and for people who don't know why that's such a laughable uh, laughable uh, issue, there was one 
one public face, you know, internet public facing portal that basically had the username and password admin and admin. So I don't know who the admin was, but my God, I hope they got fired and fined and penalized. Their, their CISO got fired. Well, that's not good enough. <laughs> like, like, I don't, I, let's, let's not even get into it. But then the CISO like have chief compliance, has chief security officer. Didn't they have like a background, like English music. lit or something? Music. Wow. Music. Wow. There's, there's, there is a demonstration of the Peter principle I've ever heard of one. Um, okay. So let's go back to tips. Tips. How do business owners prevent themselves from becoming victims here? I think so first, awareness, aware, awareness is a great start. Training and employee training doesn't have to be expensive. No, some of the stuff is available on YouTube for free now. Exactly. We've got relationships with some training folks that for Ridge Canada clients, they're discounted by 80% because mm. it is, you know, it's like software. Once you develop it once, you so can really video a million times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, training is one. There is some free training out there. I would say any training for your employees or anyone within your, within your networks is better than no training, yep. whether it's free or cost you money. I think that awareness and communicating within your staff about what to look for, just like you mentioned on the Apple iCloud piece. So yep. like, don't be afraid to hover over an email address to see what it, what the source is. Yep. That is a major, major one. And if something doesn't pass the sniff test, then you know flag it, don't open it. I think some other tips, some major, major tips, and these we've been sort of preaching this for a while, but strength of backups. If yep. right now what we're seeing out there in the market is the number one exposure to Canadian businesses is ransomware. So how do you prevent that? There's no silver bullet. If you're going to get hit, what it comes down to is how well do you recover and how resilient is your organization? Yeah, and I mean, that's not an overly expensive venture. No. I mean, there's all kinds of online backup solutions that are, you know, do multiple iterations. So if you got a server, Carbonite's one that comes to mind. Yep. Um, God, there's a couple other ones. So anyway, Dado. So Dado, yeah, Dado. So they will, you know, they will, you know, scan your- 365 can even do it. Microsoft 365. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, actually, I think Google does it now. Too, I think Google drives. does yeah. as well. Yeah. So literally they will, they will basically, every time you change a file on your computer, they will upload it there and they'll create multiple versions of the same files exactly. and be able to go backwards. And even if you're someone who basically puts everything in the cloud, like me, who's crazy, like who's not crazy, but who's, <laughs> who's just done with servers, um, basically, there's even service services that will run multiple backups on all your cloud stuff as exactly. well. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cloud squared, if not, if not cloud cubed on this one. So it's, and these are not expensive. We're talking a couple bucks per computer, no. like in, in many cases. The cost of storage and oh, the actual nothing. compression technology over right. the last decade has just, it's been advancing at breakneck speed. So yeah. it's, it's fantastic. I agree. I think there's a lot of strength to the cloud. I think it's how you manage things within the cloud. I think from about there, security when you access that point. Exactly. Yeah. So always, 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 if you're using cloud-based technologies, if you're using any based technologies, two-factor authentication. So, it's a must. So that's the second, that's the next tip. So two-factor yeah. authentication. So two-factor authentication is where you have to put in some sort of second code or second answer exactly. after you put in the password. So yeah. let me go, let me go back a step. Sure. I'm going to say before you even get there, password strength. Right. Yep. So we've all heard this advice that says, do not use the same password twice. Yeah. Make them complicated, random things. And of course, no Change one's going to do that. The thing is, the technology exists to do it for you. So yep. LastPass, OnePassword, Dashlane, all great service providers yep. that sit on your browser and will generate random passwords for or your you. Mobile. Or your mobile. Yep. Who will generate random passwords for you, different every time store them for you. When you yep. update it, they'll update it for you. And they'll even populate and fill in and open the website for you. Like yep. literally it is, it replaces any bookmarks you ever had. And you can link it to biometric on your phone exactly. or, face, or face recognition technology on your phone. Yep. And 
Yeah. So and that way, I, I use LastPass Premium. I'll, so I'll, I, I and the enterprise, yeah. and it's forty bucks a year. Yeah, it's it's the easiest money I spend on my business every year, yeah. and it's like you know what? It also restricts my. I got it turned up so like my staff tries to use the same password twice. No, no, it's like it, it tells them you're not getting away with this. Yep. Uh, you know, if they try to put something in simple. No, sorry, this is a word. You're getting rid of that, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, sometimes the staff complains about this stuff. I'm just like, too bad. This it's is it. It's a like, reality it's, it's of that life. That'll right? fire you when something goes wrong. Like, what do you want me to say? Yeah, right. So with cause yeah so the there's that apathy it still there, is there it is there it is there again right but they've gotten used to living with me now so so the point is is that this is and you know even even basic devices i mean apple is embedded in every software Absolutely. every device microsoft google yeah. all of them. they've all done it right yeah. but having a third-party independent one that's cross-platform is much much better in those in those instances right and all you got to do and that then all you have to do is remember one complicated password and Just change one. it every three months change it every three months or yeah there's that or simply never ever ever divulge it yeah, right i, 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 I think i probably change it once a year but like it's like what's your password you're not getting that never like yeah. ever so basically that's the first and let's go back to two factor so two factor there's multiple forms of two factor let's yeah. talk about what those look like so i mean for us it's as simple if you're running office 365 yeah which 90 percent of canadian businesses are that I sounds say. painful to me i'm a google guy but <laughs> yeah, most people are running Outlook or yeah. some form of uh, unless you're office. a startup, in which case then you're on Google. Exactly. If you're under, if you're if you're if your founders under thirty five, yeah. you're running Google. Yeah. <laughs> Non-starter, you should have two factor in, yes. and the Microsoft has an authenticator. This is free, and any admin, any Microsoft admin, can turn this on simply by clicking a button. Yeah, it so, is that simple. So and the authenticator, yes. yeah. So the authenticator is an app that sits on your phone. So if you're trying to log in anywhere, you should have your phone on you. But you can set it up uh, to be as simple as putting your thumb. If you're running anything less than, a, yep. than an iPhone 10, you can put your thumb on the biometric panel, and that would be enough to trigger two-factor. Two as long yep. as you're somewhere that's Wi-Fi enabled or has a cell, cell signal, it can then log you in because it passes all the credentials through to your Office 365. So if you're logging in on a machine that it does not have a recognized IP address, yep. it would automatically prompt you to check your phone sign off, hey, is this yep. a computer that you're normally going to use? Yeah. And then it'll log in. So there's multiple types, and that's you, you've got one of the stronger ones. I mean, the weakest one is this entire, we're going to text you this code, yeah. right? Yeah. That is not something any of us should be using if nope. we can get away with it. And simply because your SIM card can be spoofed. And if you think it's not doable, it happened to Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, yeah. and someone got into his Twitter account, okay? So the reality is, is that this is, that is by far the weakest form, and unfortunately the only form the banks support at this point, as far as I know. Well, and, and what's crazy as well is this has been getting far more prevalent yeah. in Canada recently. If you look at some of the, you know, all the major news outlets have run a story on this happening. Oh, I know. Uh, Sim spoofing is not hard. Months. You just gotta, you gotta fool the person at the, at the, at the support line to basically give you, you know, to. Yeah. So you lost the phone or it was stolen, give you a new SIM card and they're they're off to the races. Yep. And if you call from that SIM card and if you call from that number, then banks, let's put it into a banking perspective and make it a little bit scarier There's a first for authentication people. piece, right? So most of the time, yeah, exactly. That's your first authentication piece is does the number match the number that they have on file? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, okay, there might be some additional questions in order to qualify you. But once that happens, and if you think that spoofing, like getting Rogers, Telus, anybody else. And I'm not just picking on the telcos, but the reality is, is they're these the people are being, yeah, yeah, they're the gatekeepers and people are being, are being socially engineered and tracked just via social media to figure out what's your middle name, you know, what's your pet, who's your first pet, what's your mother's maiden name, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. 
people post this stuff via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the way back. So you've created this digital identity for yourself that is accessible to basically anyone. And so answering, think about how you answer those locked out questions that they ask. Like mm-hmm. they're always standard questions. You know, there's oh, the same 20 questions every time. Yeah. So for example, I called the bank the other day and came from my number. If they have your SIM card spoofed, then there's only two questions that you get asked. Can you validate your address for me? Oh God. And can you give me your date of birth? Yeah. And well, once you're through those like, two things. The next level up is mother's maiden name. And it's like, come on, you can get that just from conversations. So, or Facebook. So yeah, that is that is weak. And so that's, and you bring up a couple of interesting points. So first off, one of the things that drives me nuts is the ones where they have higher security, but then the secondary ones, oh, you don't have that? I'll just ping your your phone. Like yeah. we should all be avoiding the phone one like the plague. The second, in fact, Google's gone to the point where they're actually, I think, deactivating that functionality. Yeah, Google Authenticator is fantastic. We'll get too. to the Authenticator in a second. The second piece is those challenge questions. So I will even go further. I've gone to the point of, you know, basically challenge questions. I don't answer them anymore. I actually, what I do is in LastPass, I can put a note in that password and I can put in random words that will basically say that. So if it's asked me like, what was the color of my first car? I'll put in like Mexico. Right. And then that's the challenge. Like, good luck figuring that out. Right. Good luck challenging me on that. Right. So it does mean it's a little bit harder to get in for me, too. But, you know, security is worth it. And at the end of the day, you need it. Especially if it's your bank. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So then the second piece is the two factor authentication you mentioned, which is the authenticator app. So there's a couple of them. Microsoft's got one. Google's the big one. There's a good one called Authy. It's independent. Uh, Salesforce. I see these things popping up all the time. And what they do is they generate a random number sequence for 30 seconds, six numbers typically. And then basically, you type in that six numbers under the password and you're in, right? Yeah. Or some of them have, as you said earlier, proximity-based ones. So, yeah. oh, you're logging in from the IP and you have that phone, which has got this, push this button to say yes, yeah. right? And those are far more secure. And it was when I it was funny, when I rolled that out here, you know, the first question my client, my staff said was, well, what happens if I forgot my phone at home? I'm like, when is the last time you forgot your phone at home before you went? Let's be yeah. honest, you forget your home, your phone, you're turning around, you're going home. Exactly. Right? And now you're definitely going home because you can't get into your own computer. So frankly, it's, it is a pain, but you know what? The reality is no one goes without these things anymore. No, I mean, if we look at any financial services based firms over the last 10 years, I mean, there's been a major push for lifestyle changes, everything else. So you look at the capabilities that people have asked for and the advancements of technology with work from home technology. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to do that previously, you know, there were validators in order to get yourself onto someone's network. You mm-hmm. have the RSA keys. Yeah, well, that's, this, this is, that's what this it's, is. This is, is essentially key. an RSA key that you yeah. can carry with you anywhere and you will be carrying with you anywhere. Yeah. So it's no different than the technology that you had a decade ago. It's just, just in a different format. Yeah, I think the most, the strongest form, probably the least used form, but one I'm actually going to be experimenting with shortly is the actual hardware keys. So yep. these are little, little tiny keys that are USB keys typically, mm-hmm. or whatever form of USB-AC whatever you're using some of them have uh, nfc so you can tap for them but what they do is they plug into your computer and only if that is plugged into the computer will you be able to open that site and that again it's it's even more secure than just that number because theoretically if they can there are ways to get around that two-factor number it's just it's a lot harder but it's super hard to get that specific physical key that you had to have right keep it on your keychain you're not leaving home without those exactly so google started making those but those but yubikey is the big owner of that so i encourage everybody to look at all these resources and you know what they sound intimidating they sound hard you can watch videos on this you can you can deploy this it's super easy and frankly you know i couldn't imagine my life without LastPass. i have i was on one password before 
and then I had to move it for enterprise before they had an enterprise for one last pass for one password. But I'll tell you, like, I don't know what any website is. I just type in what, what resource I'm looking for and then click on it and it opens up the site, puts in the, the information and logs me in. Yeah. Right. And then and then then I get up out the phone and do the two factor authentication. But yeah, it's all worth it. I think one one other tip that I would yeah. give as well, and this is more what we're seeing to protect your organization mm -hmm. against potential regulatory issues down the road. So you look at, at the issue that LifeLabs just went through yep. and having to notify 15 million people that their stuff was, was potentially compromised, yep. right? That becomes very expensive. That forms, if I go back to the first thing that we talked about, that hits that expense portion of coverages yep. pretty hard on an insurance policy. Absolutely. So that, that limit could be completely gone, especially when you're dealing with 15 million records, notifying each individual. How do you do that? Is that registered mail? Is that mm. the email? Is that numbers on file? Either way, there's more costs that come as a result of that. One of the things that could be avoided because now that you have to report any breaches into the office of the privacy commissioner, and then they make a decision as to whether or not you have to notify the affected individual. So if it passes that Roche test again, mm -hmm. what we're learning from all of these things is originally when this legislation came out, it wasn't thought of that ransomware would actually cause you the cause for the reason to to notify affected yeah. individuals. Because typically ransomware would go in, lock it up, extort yeah, you. Yeah, they wouldn't then steal you, the information. Yeah. It's just sitting untouchable. And you'd either have to run the cost benefit analysis of restoring and recreating the data and any lost data that you had, or paying the ransom and, and trying to figure it out. crossing your fingers and hoping to God they actually Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what we found is coming out of this is that the Office of the Privacy Commissioner has come out and said too that, hey, if you didn't encrypt that data that was on your servers or data at rest within the yeah. cloud, then there is the possibility, even if forensics go in post-loss, try and figure and figure everything out and say, yeah. hey, no data has been exfiltrated. So that's your network liability component. That's the network security function. Mm -hmm. However, like we said before, there's still that privacy element. And that's what the Office of the Privacy Commissioner has focused on on Life Labs as well in that in terms of having to notify is because the threat actor that got in and locked everything up, they could have looked at yeah, those because files. Because you can't get them to prove it. You're exactly. Yeah. So if it's if your data and if your lists, if your client lists, if anything that you deem sensitive is not encrypted yeah. while it's at rest, now, this is you are exposed. And this is important to note. So let's just say you use an Office 365 or Google or G Suite, whatever it might be, to hold all your files. Yeah. Right? Ransomware is not really possible, is it? So it, some not, of the, well, some, some, yeah, this is where it gets a little bit scary and this is yeah. way, way further ahead, but you saw some of the issues coming out of 2018, 2019, where the ransomware and this, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but yeah. you know, you look back at some of the issues and you've got WikiLeaks that happen, you've mm -hmm. got Snowden and exposing no, some possible. of those. Sure. So some strains of ransomware, the big ones that have globally affected organizations, you know, we look at Maersk, we look at yeah. FedEx, we look at some of the others that have been affected. Those have worm-based signatures mm -hmm. in them too. So they can proliferate through anything that they're actually getting in contact Fair with. Enough. So they can be exposed, but let's also look at the scenario we're dealing with. We're dealing with AWS, we're dealing with, yeah. with Google. They're you know, co-located, it's they're, pretty they're good, co you can spin up. Yeah, they're duplicating data. They're fragmenting it across multiple resort, multiple uh, yeah. data centers. So even if one data center gets it in there and they can detect it and they shut it down, shut down, wipe over, yeah. no, no issue, right? So it's the probability of it happening with a with one of the larger providers versus your computer. Like I think to myself, geez, if I what am I what am 
my staff members, like we're not even running a full network anymore, running individual yep. nodes, because frankly, we don't use a server anymore. And I think it's actually more, it's actually, cre I've, I've, in, I've increased the attack surface this way, making it harder to get to everybody. But if you scare every endpoint. This is a, yeah, this yeah. is the thing. Every endpoint's secured, but every endpoint doesn't affect the other endpoint anymore, yep. right? Exactly. So I've increased the attack surface, but I've limited what you can get. And I think to myself, if my staff member got ransomware, everything's in the cloud. I'm just going to wipe that thing down again and start over again. As long as it's encrypted, as long as it, it's yeah. already encrypted. Oh, it's encrypted. And that's, that's the other yeah. thing. And I'll say is that the other thing is we're running Macs, which are far less targeted in general, but still targeted yep. because the software, you know, there's, there's more PCs out there to run and there's less security around those, unfortunately. And there's also the problem of uh, people running very old operating systems. And yep. we're, we're talking about some day that Windows 7 is about to be uh, retired, essentially. Today. 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 So uh, no more security patches on Windows 7. And actually XP has been like that for a while, but there was an emergency when they did because the, the hole was that big a couple, like a year ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and apparently they were still selling Windows 7 PCs in 2015. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. So if yeah. you're, if you're not running the most up-to-date operating system or at least the security patches for that operating system, you are seriously exposing yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that we see too is another just little tip. I had a loss that we paid. We had to pay the ransom because there was it was deemed to be, we ended up, it was your only option. It was our only option. They were doing some monitoring for school boards and for emergency response. And so if they didn't get the call on one of these things to deploy emergency mm -hmm. responders, then, you know, the liability on that is far greater than paying mm -hmm. a smaller ransom. Yeah. So we analyzed, so we get the call at 8.30 in the morning from the broker. They say client has been, has had their systems locked up. We go in, we deploy, we get the lawyer involved so that everything in the event that something goes awry is privileged. And so it gives the client control of the situation itself within 45 minutes of doing the triage, we have forensics in place and mm -hmm. we start going through things. So what we find out within 45 minutes of that happening is basically that they were running 42 servers and their two backup servers, but their two backup servers weren't segregated from their actual networks. So the, so ransomware, the backup server was basically it was the same thing. They might as well exact, have been picked up. They may as well have been linked in. They so. might as yeah. They might as well have been running 44 just servers, and they were backing up on two servers that were not segregated. So at that point, the recovery portion is off the table. Yeah. So that client cannot recover because they don't have the decryption keys to get access to their backups. So what do we do? So we go back, we have the forensics and the lawyers actually negotiate with threat actors. We see whether or not they're willing to come down yeah. in their extortion demand. At the time, this was back in 2017, Bitcoin was running about 13K US. Uh -huh. You know, it's back up now. Yeah. So it's we look at what's going on globally and it seems to be a, a bit of a hedge. You know, mm -hmm. gold's gone up. Bitcoin goes up anytime there's tumultuousness. The crypto, uh, crypto tends to rise. Well, um, and yeah, anyway, yeah, for those I'm, who I'm in a financial this, services yeah. office. I'll leave that I've had many, I've had many, I've had many Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. conversations on my other podcast. You yeah, and I'm, I'm not getting into it right now. The whole thing is, is yep. it's used to extort people at, at best. I mean, there's so many AML issues that go on. Oh, too. that's because it's designed to avoid AML. Yeah, well, let's let's exactly. keep going. But yep. anyway, so we get in and we real and we we talk to the client and we say, look, you know how long do you think you can be down? How long can you afford to be down? How long would it take you to recreate all of this? And yep. they're like, 
we'd be out of business. Yep. And so, so you have no choice but to try to negotiate. So we get a we get an assessment from the forensics folks to say, hey, what's the likelihood that these folks are going to, that they're going to have honor amongst thieves mm-hmm. and that they're going to give you back the decryption keys to, yep. to decrypt your data. Luckily, it came back fairly positive. The actual known source that it was coming from was recognized. It was organized crime. And so oh. unfortunately, like, well, we weren't positive that was organized crime, but based on the signature of the malware, there was- High probability. A higher probability than than not of getting the data back. So we looked at it and they came in and by 4 p.m. that day, we had an actual coverage opinion from the lawyers to say, yeah, you know what, this is deemed if they miss a call because a school is on fire and they can't get fire trucks out to it, then we have a bigger issue on our hands than we do otherwise. On so many levels. <laughs> yeah. And so, but again, it's things that you wouldn't even think about. So is that your issue as a business? It doesn't matter what data you have. It's what you cannot perform yeah, in those cases exactly. too. So there's there's privacy issues, there's data issues, there's, and, and I guess- General liability There's issues, general right? liability yep. issues that come from your activities as well. Nice. So it's fascinating about how deep this goes. No doubt. So before we wrap, any last one tip before we wrap up or we cover all the basics? I mean, it seems like we did a pretty good job and we're talking about the weakest point link in the chain. So we're talking about specifically training your people, creating password security initiatives and using some software to leverage that, two-factor authentication wherever possible, backups to basically protect yourself in that case, and limiting, you know, I think, and then basically being up to date on all your security softwares. I mean, those are pretty much, you know, like that's five points there. And I think we, you know, those are pretty much the big ones. Anything else to add? The biggest one, plan for it. Yeah. Disaster recovery scenario. What are you going to do? Exactly. An organization that is ready is an organization that is resilient. Yeah. And if you're planning for this, we have things in place. Most organizations have business continuity plans, disaster recovery plans. So if your building gets hit by lightning, how are you going to continue operating? Chances of getting hit by lightning are way less than getting hit by ransomware. That's very true, unfortunately. how, How do you respond to that? So I think it comes down to having a robust plan looking and involving all elements of the organization. This is not an IT issue anymore. No, nope. it, it, this it is never one who touches anything with any form of authentication. This is an issue. Exactly. And, and IT managers and, and folks are being tasked with an impossible job. Yeah. Like yeah. one, they're in Canada. What we've found is they're on razor thin budgets. Oh God. You yeah. know, making yeah. any decisions and affecting change is not easy in, especially amongst legacy systems. You know, again, we, we see end of life on Windows, Windows 7 being deployed on 30, 40% of, of actual businesses. For, for the record, when I left a major bank institution in, in the, the brokerage side, of course, in 2002, the back office had just gone off mainframe computers and gotten Windows 95. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm pretty sure those Windows 95 machines are probably still somewhere in there for, serving some sort of purpose and function. I wouldn't those doubt institutions it. don't throw things away. As long as they're air gapped, please, please, please be air gapped. Well, don't not connected. Anything. But anyway. the, but yeah, yeah, identifying who's going to handle the situation. And we're obviously in the insurance industry. We think insurance mm-hmm. forms part of a plan, mm-hmm. but it is not the plan. No. The whole thing is, is it's control. what happens when everything else goes wrong. This is not a moral hazard thing where, exactly. oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally protected from this. I can take that risk. Exactly. Yeah. It's the enterprise risk management model. It's assess, figure out what you have, how you protect, yep. control, protect it, and then transfer out whatever you don't think you can handle. And so that means if you're not looking at insurance, 
that's fine too, but make sure that you, you better have, have your self-protected. Make sure you have that incident response plan in a robust manner. And so you've identified the lawyer that you're going to call, who's an expert in these types of scenarios, because your general lawyer is not going to know no. how to get Bitcoin, whether yeah. or not that's yeah. going to cross and, and, off And you're down on, the street, you yeah. do everything a lawyer is not going to even know where to start. Exactly. And what we're finding too, is we do a lot of law firms work. They're catching up. Yeah, they're catching up in terms of what the exposures are and what well, and what they're what they're having to they're deal with. Those, they're the first ones getting those calls. Exactly. So now let's be clear: you're a wholesaler of this. So essentially, if people are interested in this, they should be talking to their individual brokers Correct. altogether. The retail insurance broker. exactly. Yeah. But if people want to find you and learn more about this, where can they find you? They can email me. Our website is ridgecanada.insure, mm-hmm. I-N-S-U-R-E. Our contact info is on there. Mm-hmm. You can give our office a call. You can call me in, in individually. My number's actually out. <laughs> it's, it'll be out. It, it'll be out. Just, just and, then, and then finally, we're in the process of launching completely nationwide. We're, right now, we're licensed all the way through to the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So we the bulk of our clients are in Ontario, Alberta, BC. With a smattering in Manitoba, we're growing pretty quickly in Manitoba but insurance brokers across the country know who we are, which is great. And yeah, you can get me on LinkedIn too. So we try and post some things on on LinkedIn, but Greg Markell and at Ridge Canada Cyber Solutions. Excellent. So highly encourage everybody to take a look at this because this is a ever-growing problem and will become commonplace. And there will be a time where we can't imagine that we wouldn't have cyber insurance. Greg, thank you very much for taking the time to come in. Thank you, Jason. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Greg. I hope it informed you as to why cyber insurance is not just some new fad. It's something that's very necessary for most of our businesses. Please look into this and make sure you protect yourself and your business. As always, I'm Jason Pereira. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever it is you get your podcasts. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.